Добро пожаловать на Канлангери, подкаст про искусственные языки и про людей, которые их придумывают. Welcome to Conlanger, the podcast about constructed languages and the people who create them. I'm George Corley. Uh, with me uh, down the road is William Annis. Hello. And over in Maine, we have Mike Lentine. Howdy. You know, every time, you know, it seems weird now that me and William are in the same city and William is still going coming in through Skype. Multiple people in the same room with one wee little mic would just be irritating. <laughs> uh, true. We need to find a, a a a studio that will that will preferably uh, loan us their services. Yes. But anyway, uh, we actually have a guest on, uh, John Erickson. Say hello, John. Hello. Yeah. Um. And uh, John. Uh, we have John on because we're going to feature his language today. Uh, John is the creator of Fairy Lang. And did you guys hear that? Hear what? Oh, okay. Somebody was screaming. Anyway, um, so John, why don't you tell us a little bit about um, how you got into conlanging and also a little of the origin of uh, Fairy Lang? Well, uh, I got into conlanging mainly through Tolkien, as I'm sure many people do. I uh, made uh, my first real serious conlang in, in terms of my first one that got much past the uh, the sketch stage to go along with a story I was writing that I never finished. Uh, I started that one just as, you know, as basically a naming language to get a consistent sound to the names of people and places in the story. And I ended up getting so caught up in the fun of conlanging that I eventually just sort of pushed the story to the side and focused on the language itself. Uh, and that one, looking back on it, it's pretty pretty uninteresting and pretty noobish, uh, but it was fun, and I learned a lot. So uh, moving on now to my second now serious conlang, which is Fairy Lang. Uh, it's not associated with any particular fictional story, just more of a, a pure art lang. Mm-hmm. Um. So that's about it. Uh, <laughs> now, decided um, to try some some new things, experiment a bit, try to stretch my legs. Yeah. Now, Fairy Lang is help me out. Is there like con worlding behind this? Because it seems like it it, it is like a language spoken by fey creatures. Or uh, yeah. There's there's sort of a a vague sort of world building going on behind it. It's it's based on. Uh, traditional fairy tales and folklore, and I didn't want to build any real specific uh, con world behind it, since there's so much variation in 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 folklore. I just sort of took some of some of the general themes and you know that uh, that I found in in those stories and mm. built, I think, enough of a basis to make some some generalizations and some uh, assumptions about what fairy culture might be like in order to make. Uh, Base the conlang on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can I can understand that. I I just see like there's there's even like a fairy gender in the language and um, yeah yeah that would. Well, one of the 
one of the things you see a lot in the in the old folklore is that you know the human world and the fairy world are like parallel universes mm-hmm. that people sometimes cross over uh, one way or the other, and so that's one of the assumptions that I base the language on that there would be these these two parallel realms. Okay, and so the the gender the uh, grammatical gender of the language is based on that rather than actual physical gender. Yeah. Um, uh, maybe you guys, you guys were talking about, uh, William and Mike, you were guys were, uh, noticing some things about the, uh, the gender system that were interesting. Could you guys maybe offer up some questions or anything? Uh, the, the thing that mostly struck me is that, for people who are used to Indo-European languages, of course, there are more than your standard three genders. Mm-hmm. Um, but that you use it lexically in that you have words that dis- differ only by gender switching and that you change the name or ch- change the name. Good William. Change the meaning. Um, <laughs> yeah. Use it as a derivational trick. Where did you come up with that idea? Um, just in my sort of general uh, linguistic research, uh, trying to find new tricks for conlanging. I, you know, was was looking up gender and and uh, found some mention on Wikipedia that it was sometimes used in that way or some source. Maybe it wasn't Wikipedia, but uh, I don't know. It seemed like a good way to sort of maybe stretch the vocabulary, make it a little sure. easier to coin uh, additional words. Okay. Nothing much more. Nothing much more deep than that. <laughs> Yeah, it's not uh, – it happens, but it's not something I see a great deal of. I mean, it, it's mm-hmm. a regular feature of some languages of Africa, <laughs> mm-hmm. but not, I think, anywhere else. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's certainly a, a possible thing, a thing that happens. Um, uh, one thing I just um, have noticed is your tense system. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, what I'm seeing here is that there are three different, um, you, you mark tense on nouns. Yeah. And you can mark, you mark tense on the subject and you can mark it on the direct object, but it indicates, um, it actually indicates aspect rather than, than tense. And then you have. Yeah, basically. Yeah, and then you have um, indirect object, which has, like, almost a third weird meaning. Um, Yeah. (laughs) I wonder if you could elaborate on that. Mainly, my question would be, like, if you have to mark aspect on by using tense marking on the object, do you need dummy objects or anything in in this language? Um, No, you do have to make some... You do have to do some funny semantic uh, trick, or not semantic, uh, some funny word order uh, tricks when you have, you know, for example, a uh, an intransitive sentence that you want to put aspect on. You mm-hmm. have to then use, you know, a gerund of the noun, or a gerund, of, sorry, of the verb, and switch the verb to to be, and do some funky tricks like that. But uh, oh, okay. Yeah, actually, I remember this being discussed on Conlang or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I when I came up with the idea of tense marking the nouns, I brought it up on the Conlang mailing list, and there was a very good discussion there that helped me uh, 
sort out the the idea and refine it and come up with uh, the current system that I'm using. Mm-hmm. The honestly, it reminded me of uh, the Tsimshian languages. As always, when William's talking, when I <laughs> reference a weird language, it comes from the Pacific Northwest. Um, and in that language, all sorts of funny things happen. In particular, uh, case marking happens on the word that comes before. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also some funny tense and aspect stuff going on there. And the idea is that independent words have become clitics and have gotten smacked on in funny places. And I was inclined to think about the tense, not so much as nouns are taking tense because the nouns aren't taking tense. You're not talking about an X fairy or a fairy to be. Yeah. What you're doing is the sentence tense marking is happening in funny places in the clause structure. Yeah. Kind that's, of, um, that's, that's the way to look at it. Yeah. Yeah, the way, kind of reminds the way I, me of. Uh-huh, mm-hmm. Go on, sorry. Uh, the way I look at it is is sort of like say, uh, if you're talking about in the past tense and you mark, uh, say, the object or the subject fairy in past tense, what you're saying is a fairy that existed at some point in the past was doing this, hmm. and it may be that that fairy still exists, but that's kind of the way uh, I approach it. Oh, okay. Um, Mike, what were you going to say? Well, um, well, what I was going to say was that it, it's kind of like um, if you think about just on the deep structure, on a certain structure of the sentence, maybe the, you know, that tense marking is just, you know, shown on the noun. But what you were mentioning just now brought up another interesting point about a fairy having that existed in the past did something then. Um, I guess normally the subject well, doesn't really venture too far in time, you know, from when the action is. Um, yeah. But what about how about if it's something someone that changes state? Like what if I don't know if there's uh like you might have something about I don't know like an ex boyfriend or something. I guess that would kind of or like a I don't know maybe they were if they, I don't know if they have jobs even or if they change that kind of something just about mm-hmm. them that's not inherently stuck in time. It's just interesting to think about the implications of connecting the time of the subject to when the action had happened. So it's just an interesting uh, kind of twist there. Actually, yeah, yeah. Um, I wanted to ask about this. Um, in the tier three post of the tense structure, you mentioned that actually the um, a, an indirect object, or which I'm not sure exactly how you're defining indirect objects. It seems a little funny from the this yeah. inter- intro to this post, but it appears that it can it can actually have more of a relationship to the noun. The example you give is, um, uh, if I, if I don't screw up how you, 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 you <laughs> pronounce these, this is what, dahu min, um, house of me past is the house that was mine. House yeah. of me present is the ha- this, my house, my house that's currently mine. Or yeah. like uh house of me future is the house that will be mine. So is that sort of a way to also extend this tense marking on nouns to other to things that deal with the noun more than the action? Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good way to describe it. Um wasn't really thinking about it in those terms. Um, oh, it was just um, a- 
trying to trying to remember how I how I <laughs> where that came from. Yeah. Um I also noticed that you actually were inspired by us uh a little bit to use the um yes. verb not verb uh uh structure to make um to to make uh polar questions. My favorite Yeah, I was actually considering method. um I was I was thinking a lot about how I was going to do questions mm-hmm. in this language, and and just then I happened to uh, to listen to the question episode uh-huh. <laughs> of of the podcast, and I I also liked that particular option. Uh huh. Um, another thing I was going to look at you have all these vocabulary things, and I noticed that for your color terms, you you mentioned that your particular take on fairies they are tetrachromats uh-huh and what does that mean it means they have four different kinds of cone cells in their eyes so they can see they can sense four different uh wavelengths of color as opposed to human eyes which can sense three okay yeah um and you actually uh in order to and to reflect that in the language you made a bunch of uh, different basic color terms. You have 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 basic color terms, which is a lot. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that includes ultraviolet and I don't know. I'm, I'm, uh, I don't know if there's any others that, well, actually, Gamshell, the green violet, I don't think humans can see. Yeah. Um, um, so that's interesting. I've, toyed with that i i toyed that with that idea when i was making more like alien languages but i got mm-hmm. the idea that like humans so often have languages that don't reflect the the whole spectrum that we can see that it wouldn't necessarily make a difference but i guess you you decided color was very important to your fairies and you you went yeah. all out with it part of that is because color is very important to me Mm-hmm. Because I'm I'm an artist and I also work in in printing, mm-hmm. and I've had training as a as a color management specialist. So I, I think does, about okay. color and stop, I uh, stop stop stop. <laughs> what does that yeah. mean? <laughs> well, that means that uh, you know when you're looking at two different computer screens, right? They're gonna you you display the same color on them. They're gonna, those two colors are gonna look different. Yeah. On the two different screens, and every printer, every device that you print something out on, the color is gonna be different. So color management is trying to take all those different devices and have them make all the same colors. Uh, okay. That, so, sounds, that <laughs> sounds tortuous. It can be, yeah. Maybe you okay. can help Anyways. me with, uh, with the color scheme on the ConLangry site, because I <laughs> really, really feel like I'm out of my depths when I'm choosing my colors. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Slight but, diversion, but I had to know what under. But yeah. So, uh, so I, I have to say this reminds me that um, of all of the discussions in the Navi language community of mm-hmm. words and vocabulary to request from Paul Fromer to add to the language, the most crazy, long, disputed discussions happened over language, over vocabulary for color. Yeah. The idea is they live in this, you know, Technicolor day glow environment. They ha- should have lots and lots and lots and lots of words for color. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. 
So anyway, that's why um, one of the reasons why I have so many so much focus on color words is that I deal with color a lot, and it's it's for it's it's in my mind a lot. Sure. Well, you're lucky that orange is not one of the main colors. Otherwise, George would hate the language. Oh yeah. Oh. <laughs> that's, that's 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 that that won't make me hate the whole language. Just just I, it's just per myself. I will never make a language that has orange as a basic color term. <laughs> well, so far neither have I. <laughs> okay, good. Um, one quick question: How long have you been developing this language? At least a year, it looks like uh, a little over a year. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Since let's see, yeah, just a year and a few months, I think. Okay. Mm-hmm. And how much did you have in mind at the very start? Did you know that you were going to have various kinds of constant mutations? You know that sort of stuff. Did you know that you're going to use um, this sort of distributed tense and aspect marking and and so on and so forth? I had some idea of what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to do the you know initial consonant mutations. I knew I wanted to do the the tense marking on the nouns mm-hmm. i had some idea of you know what i wanted it to sound like what kind of rhythms i wanted in the language but then i i tried not to get too clear a picture of it in my mind because the the start of the project and the start of the the blog was uh was research is reading tons and tons of fairy tales and reading mm. lots and lots about fairy tales and i didn't want to get the language too too well developed in my head before I actually did the research. Okay. Okay. That's, um those constant mutations, were you trying to give like the 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 rough make it make that sort of a callback to uh Celtic languages since so much so much stuff about so much mythology about fairies comes from Celtic mythology and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. There, you know, a lot of it comes from the Celtic mythology. A lot of it comes from Germany with the the Brothers Grimm, mm-hmm. and a lot of it comes from uh, from the Nordic countries, particularly uh, with Hans Christian Andersen. Mm-hmm. And so, I definitely um, there's definitely a lot of Celtic influence in the language. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, and I look through uh, the lang- those languages: uh, Irish, Welsh, German, and Danish, looking for inspiration for for vocabulary words. So your fairies are probably not very nice then. Well, <laughs> or not some always. of them are and some of them aren't. <laughs> yeah. Cause in some of the I old stories, the fairies can be not very friendly, very evil. Yeah. And I, and I do include, uh, goblins in my, in my fairy classification. They okay. are, they are members of, of that, that group. Yeah. Now I want to make a language for Draugur. <laughs> yeah. Draugor? Gor? What's a Draugor? Does the guy with the Scandinavian last name want to take that on? Isn't that the, uh, <laughs> the Old Norse word for dwarves? Or is uh, is that the Dark Elves? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. Um, or they're, they're actually kind of the same thing if you go back far enough. Right. Well, that's where people get unfriendly. They're associated with... It's an undead critter of some sort. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, so, it's, mm-hmm. <laughs> go ahead, Mike. <laughs> no, I've just been. Uh, I have a few things that I've noticed, but I've you know realized we're all trying to share what we look. We've seen this one thing I'm looking at right now is the pronouns are kind of interesting. I thought it was cool that you have the two and a half person or the three point fifth yeah. person. Um, 
I know we mentioned that on one of the episodes not too long ago, it seems, but um, where you say, you know, you said like, he's a good actor, but he's a drunk. Um, yeah. If both pronouns are the same, are of the standard form, it's two qualities of the same person. But if the second pronoun is a, the plus point zero or plus zero point five form, it means you're two different people. I think that's uh, kind of cool that you have a way of doing that that's actually shown in by the words, not just, you know, he's he's a good actor, but he's a drunk. So yeah, it was yeah. uh, that's kind of cool. Yeah. I would, I mean, I this, mean, uh, I would call, so the simple ones mm-hmm. for third person references, I would call fourth person pronouns. Um, just mm-hmm. because, you know, it's, it's like a language, you know, it's like the obviation mechanics of a lang- of any of the Algonquin languages. What's interesting to me is that you extend this into the second person. Yeah. I was just look at yeah. that. So how do you, I mean, if you're talking to two individuals or multiple individuals? Yeah, or, yeah or like what? if you're talking to, to multiple people, you know, if uh, I could say, you know, you go get me a drink and you go get me something to eat, I would use different, uh, the two different forms of the pronoun. That's kind of cool. I wonder if that occurs in any natural language. And then here's a question. So say you have, say it's like, you know, person A, person B, and person C, and person A says, you know, so... You say to person mm-hmm. B, you know, you go get me a drink, and then person C, you go get me a, um, I don't know, a cake. And if yeah. the first person went away, would you continue using that two and a half with the new person, or since there's only one you, would you default back to the no, the base one? That's a good question. I think I would default back to the base one once the other two people were away. In, in a situation like that, I think the uh, the scheme would only be extended as long as a particular utterance. After you said, you know, you, you, and you do such and such, then I think that, you know, I would reset the system. So hmm. the next person you refer to as you would get the first, would get the uh, the primary form. Okay. Uh, you should you should make um, example conversations to, to or maybe yeah, like mm-hmm. a story or something with, yeah. with lots of dialogue, or or just a, a dialogue in general, like you would find in a uh, in a learn fairy lang type book yeah yeah i thought about uh translating like like a like a play or something like you just mentioned you know because that would be great to see when you say you this and you that and would show when someone leaves the vicinity when that switch occurs or how it uh you know all shakes out Mm -hmm. yeah that's something we'll have to uh think about and figure out the exact rules for that it seems to me and you can correct me if i'm wrong like you have sort of uh sort of uh, a dual thing in that you do try to um you do try to make it somewhat natural but then you also throw in things that are a little unnatural that maybe shows that the fae are a little bit strange or something like yeah yeah i was noticing like you have this the this post that's come and go, give and take, and you have these pairs of um, opposing verbs that indicate some sort of movement that are related. So you have adri to approach and agri to leave, mm-hmm. nerid to, to enter, nerig to exit. And, I mean, like, I could see that occurring for, like, one or two of those pairs, but to have, like five different pairs that have that um that you know relationship i don't know if any i don't know if uh i would really expect that in a natural language i don't know enough to to necessarily say it's not 
doesn't happen, but yeah. Well, a lot of that kind of stuff comes from simply the fact that I am kind of obsessive and a perfectionist and kind of left brained. And so there's, there's a part of me that's, you know, that just says it has to make sense. It has to be logical. It has to have, you know, these, these repeating, uh, you know, understandable patterns. And so that kind of takes me away from the, uh, the naturalistic side of things at times. Oh, okay. That makes sense. I mean, on the show, obviously you listen, you know, we have a slight bias in that regard, but yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter. So, uh, well, it's something I have, I kind of have a a tug of war with myself when I'm trying to create a, you know, something naturalistic where half of me wants it to be very, very logical and consistent. The other half of me is saying, no, no, that's not, that's not natural. Many, many of us, (laughs) even if we align ourselves with the naturalistic, um, aesthetic, still have that fight within our brains, I think. Yeah. One of the freedoms when you're, I'm sorry, did I jump in? Go ahead. I was just going to say, um, one of the freedoms, I guess, with, uh, ha- with this being, you know, a, you know, a language of non-humans is you, know, you can kind of have a little bit of freedom where if you say, well, maybe there are people who are very much so using language more for writing messages down mm-hmm. instead of spoken. In that case, you would, you could argue that the regular regularities would be preserved a lot more than spoken language where there's a lot more erosion of the original forms. You have a lot more, um, unpredictability in there. And if yeah. they're mainly writing the language or maybe even if there's some sort of way for the language to be preserved and kind of fossilized, you might see that kind of overarching order a lot more clearly. Or um, are your fairies immortal? That's a good question. That's one of those things that I've kind of intentionally left ambiguous, you know, I, because I don't want to get too specific and, and nail down uh, and start yeah, contradicting some I mean, of the <laughs> some of the folklore. You could think if they are immortal, then their language may not change very much. Yeah. So they're certainly, if not immortal, very very long lived. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So lifespan of thousands of years. Yeah. Or maybe if they have uh, a lot more of a like, mm, I don't not like hive mind, but if there's something a bit more of like non like with humans, we just communicate with words, and the words aren't really. There isn't one database that we all seem to access. There, we all have our own little mental dictionaries and grammar books and whatever. But if the <laughs> fairies don't follow the same kind of, you know, neural network, so to speak, you could also say that they would have a lot less deviation from that main form because they wouldn't, you know, across either conversation to conversation or generation to generation, you wouldn't have that same kind of drift. Yeah. Or if, yeah. or if they were telepathic, there's a lot of. I guess it it helps. I get. I think that you, John, haven't really defined things because people could just like look at your language and just come up with their own explanations for why some of the strange things are in there. Yeah, and that's that's kind of one of the things I was hoping was that it would be a language that people could potentially, you know, pick up and and apply to their own story or their own role playing or or things like that. That's another reason I've intentionally kind of left things a little bit open, a little bit ambiguous, so that people can sort of take it and do with it what they want. Oh, that's interesting. So, like, you would you would be cool with people actually picking up Fairy Lang and using it for for certain creative projects, or for certain creative projects? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, you know, if someone was going to use it in a in a in a movie or something, and it was a you know commercial uh, application, I would 
probably uh, take offense at that. But you know, if people want to use it for, you know, role playing or or yeah, you know, or that sort of thing, that's that's absolutely cool. Well, um, that's an interesting thing because I don't think a lot of conlangers, at least not a lot of art langers, are really that would really be as open to that sort of thing. I know that mm-hmm. for me, I want to use my own languages in stories. So yeah. I I don't release a whole lot about them. And I, you know, I guess it would be fine if somebody used it for their own personal purposes, but I, I wouldn't want anyone to make any kind of creative work with it. Yeah. Huh. See, I was very thrilled when people learned one of my languages. Although <laughs> it can be sort of exciting because suddenly people ask you questions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. How, how do I say sneeze? What, why, <laughs> why do you want to say sneeze? And okay, fine, I'll invent a word for sneeze. But you know, I mean, I, I predict right now that if other people pick up your language, there will be some cursing of your name for having them have base twelve as a number system. Oh, Ooh. I'm sure there will, and that that. Will be hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, where's the numerals? Well, if you hit numbers in the tags, you'll get to see all of the nice numbers. Oh yeah, I guess I haven't put a uh, put a link to that on the main sticky here. Because I like numerals, so uh, it's in the sidebar of the tags. Oh yeah, numbers. Mine doesn't really bring up anything. So okay, so you have. This was 12. another area where I had where my sort of left brainedness took over the the names of the numbers are very very regular and follow probably an unrealistic yeah pattern. um let's say milda 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 whatever how what is that why is it e that's an that's an e it's a regular milda, okay milda the tilda, w is that e yeah oh okay um tishta fishta okay okay so yeah very very regular sound to it um although you do have you have it's not clear to me exactly how i'd have to to stare at it for a while to figure out exactly how the these 10 the tens place is derived from the ones place numerals but i Mm -hmm. can see that they're related yeah if you scroll down a little farther i think you'll see the uh the cardinal numbers and the relationship is a little more clear there. Oh, okay. So you have the you have the cardinals. I was looking at the ordinals, which are yeah. Um, so mil to yeah. It's it's it, it is a little bit odd. <laughs> it is uh, I, uh, it's just to have like them only varying. Though it is interesting. So how um is there a particular reason that um. Seven to um, eleven have the ish rather than the ill. They're parallel. His fairies must have six fingers. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, that would be my guess because yeah, of the the parallelizing, or or they used some other technology for counting that. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe they count the yeah, palm. Would... <laughs> or if could they be. use their wings, I don't know if they are. Uh... Oh yes, yes. Start with the wings. <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> I mean, we joke about that, but that can happen, right? There are some people mm-hmm. who have ways of counting beyond five on one arm, 
right? Yeah. It starts with the fingers and then various major joints in the, the hand and arm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's not outside the realm of possibility. If you imagine a very early base six system, right? That's as far as they counted. And then they decided they needed to count higher. And so they just doubled it onto the next hand. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We don't, we don't need to have polydactyl fairies just to, to do this. Yeah. It's, that's, that's an interesting thing. Another, and another thing where people may want to just apply their own ideas about how it, how it works. Uh, so, um, a quick yeah. question with the, uh, the noun classes again and the, um, the switching of the word of the, of the, I guess the class vowel. Um, yeah. it, it reminds me kind of like of the consonantal, uh, root system, which like Semitic languages have and you switch the vowel. I'm, mm-hmm. I haven't studied those, so I could be totally off on that, but, um, how much, well, how much similarity? Either, so. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, I haven't studied them either. <laughs> I was just thinking, so like, if if, uh-huh. if there's any similarity, it's not intentional, but uh, it'd be. Uh, I don't know if this is. I saw a couple of these on there where there is um, under gender. I believe it. No, maybe not gender. It was um, gender and vowels. We see some example of you know where which vowels go to what class. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd be interested in, interested in seeing like, for example, tach might be table. I think I saw. But then, what are the other words that have T, vowel, H? Like, what kind of variation is there between if it's of class, of human class versus demonic class? Is there a general, are they fixed for the word, or is it based on the speaker? I'd love to see how that really um, adds, mm-hmm. what kind of twists and turns that adds to the language. Well, it's, uh, fixed, it's mostly fixed for the word. It's not so much the perception, based on the perception of the speaker, so much as the perception of the culture okay. that the language comes from. And there's not always um, uh, different variations of gender. Something like table, you know, it's just a table. You know, there's really no such thing gotcha. as, a, mm-hmm. as a fairy table versus a human table. It's the same thing. Although you might, I might, well, you, know, mm-hmm. you might say there's like a demonic table, which would be like the rack or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Like, uh, I was thinking of doing yeah. something with classes where they were with elements, and maybe, like, you might have, if it's, uh, say, fire fire plus water might be something like, I don't know, electricity, because they see it like fire that fl- is fluid. Or maybe mm-hmm. table, like an angelic table might be like an altar. Or maybe like an earth, like true, a human true. table might even be like the horizon or something. Like, there's a lot of imagery that you can, that could be... Um, That's true. That's true. ...fed into that. So, can I just... Um, yeah. Uh, so so now I now I may add angelic and demonic versions of table. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it, yeah, there's uh, it doesn't have to always be a, just a literal like this is a table, but you. With, oh, absolutely, um, yeah. Yeah, so I you know I'm not sure how many similarities there are where there's the same consonant uh, skeleton that's just filled with different vowels, mm-hmm. but I'd be interested in seeing uh, you know how how similar the words are, and uh, I've thought about doing a. A, a language with the vowel shit switching, but I was afraid it would get kind of muddled. Um, but I would, you know, I'm really interested in seeing how that pans out with this. Well, it's part of why I do some trickery with the, the consonants and gender as well, is to help keep the separately, the you know, parallel words from different genders, keep them sounding different enough so they don't get confused. Mm-hmm. Kind of like a like a consonant harmony kind of thing. It seems like with uh, we were talking about vowel harmony with front and back yeah. saying in the, in the case in the in those little bins. 
Right. So the like the consonants have to be in harmony with the with the gender vowel. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So just as a as a random note um, about tables in Papua New Guinea, um, words for any flat piece of furniture are likely to be identical. Hmm. So. Bed and table and desk may all be the same word. So that might give you some ideas about ways to think about extending the meaning of the word table into other classes that don't have to be perfectly literal. I like that you have a reduplicated plural. Yeah. In addition to that your was, normal plural. Yeah. Let's see. Where is that at? On the plurals, uh, I like that, you know, there is the reduplication. And then I, I like that there's a lenition there. So it's not just you know, the exact same thing of like fa-fa, but you have that lenited form of um, of that suffix of the reduplication in there. I thought that was very, very cool. Yeah, all of the uh, reduplication in, in this language is also indirectly uh, from from your podcast. So that was another episode that I listened to and thought, oh, that's that's a fun uh, thing. I'll, let, me, let me incorporate some of that in my language. There's actually two kinds of reduplication, Mike. There's the normal simple plural, which involves reduplicating the final consonant um, with mutation. But there's also a a um, a whole lot of you know a big mass of that involves reduplicating collective. the entire. Yeah, yeah what's well, kind of a well, it's not an collective. I mean, he defines datsu datsuna as an infestation of mice. Where is this on? I don't I don't see this page. I'm the on the bottom. The bottom of the November twenty fifth post. Uh, I don't think I see that because I see I'm on the pluralization. Can we get to that through the grammar sticky or uh, particular? Um... Uh, I haven't linked that bit of information to the grammar sticky. Apparently, I had forgotten I had it. Yeah. Well, so yeah, that's... <laughs> if off to the left is a sidebar. Yes. Look for plurals. Why well, won't it let me? See. Well, whatever. Good old Skype is being stupid. Okay, yeah. I see, okay, now I see the uh, the plurals. Well, I didn't see that before. Because right. I was so clicked on the pluralization. Right. Mm. Can I just say that the word for dog is hilarious to me? <laughs> <laughs> well, what, one of the reasons I picked uh, fairies as a theme is that they're traditionally, you know, mischievous and, and troublemakers and uh, tricksters. And that, I felt, gave me the license to be a bit silly with the language. And so I could do a lot of fun little things and include inside jokes and stuff like that. So since our listeners may not be reading this, would you care to share with them the word for dog? Yes. The word for a small dog is barhu. (laughs) (laughs) Barhu. Oh, okay. And the word for turkey is kapu, which if you repeat it several times quickly, sounds like a turkey. So... Apart from sort of while you're developing the language, are you yourself using the language for anything, or you just add to it when you feel like? I just sort of add to it as I come up with things and feel like it, and I'm uh, I want to translate uh, a bunch of fairy tales into it, but uh, that's about all I'm using it for at the moment. It's just sort of more for the for the fun of creating it, right? So you're not. I think it would be great to see some some translations come out of this. Just the only to... one I have uh, done so far is uh, the Three Little Pigs, mm-hmm. which you could find on on the uh, under tags if you click on sh- sh- translations. There we go. Okay, so Three Little Pigs. Holy cow! There it is. 
Oh, okay. Uh, oh, and you have the gloss under it. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. It's a little hard to read the the gloss in this particular font, but okay. So that's cool. That's <laughs> I'm gonna be doing that, some more of that. That's and, a nice uh, big text. That's good. Yeah. Um. So that's. So I think. Um. I don't know, John. Do you have any any more things that we may have missed that you would want us to to take a look at? Um. Well, let me see. I just had a one more, one other quick question that I mm-hmm. saw I didn't mention. Um, so with the vowels, if there's if it starts with the vowel, the the, start, the initial vowel will reflect the, the the class. If it ends in a vowel, yeah. the last vowel will. How, is are there any words that start and end in a vowel, and are they the same? Uh, yes, there are some words that both start and end in a vowel, and in that case, it's it's the final vowel. Okay, that reflects the gender. Hmm. Okay. Another way to look at it is most of the time it's you know in a noun in its plural form it's or in a in its singular form it's going to be the final vowel that tells you the gender unless it starts the word starts with a vowel and ends with a consonant only in that case will the will the first vowel be be gendered. Hmm. Okay. If that makes any sense. <laughs> yeah. 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 That that does. Yeah. Okay. All right. You were just about to to. Uh... Mention something, John. Well, I think we've covered all the the major points. Uh, one thing that I just noticed that we haven't mentioned is that since the uh, tense is marked on the nouns, the verbs are actually conjugated, but they're conjugated for intention. Mm. I oh, yes, I not, saw the that. action was on purpose. Mm-hmm. And uh, you have some interesting examples. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Like your first, your very first example on that I noticed was um, involving the 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 uh, verb to love, which yeah. we don't really, you know, we I, it's it's not usual for us to think of that particular uh, of to love having a um, um An intention behind it. Yeah, have having having variations in intention, but I guess for fey creatures, they may have a different idea of, of what's, of what love is. You can imagine, uh, using the verb form to try to love, to describe, uh, your relationship with, a a family member or a friend who's, who's difficult to love, but you, but you try to anyway, something like that. Yeah, there's there's possibility for those possibilities. to to have all kinds of idiomatic meanings. Yeah, which makes it makes I, more sense than than the word accidentally eat. Which I mean, that's that's true. Which, uh, <laughs> accidentally eat something. Every bicyclist knows about accidentally <laughs> eating. Well, and, and and these are fairies. They 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 probably accidentally eat all kinds of uh, of strange things. That is my favorite sentence of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the examples just came up because at the time I didn't have a very big vocabulary, so I was sort of struggling to find <laughs> verbs to use. Sure. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, with any... Uh, I say there's a lot of potential for this, this intentionality thing to have um, some... 
Mm, what was I saying? Some a lot of idiomatic uses. Yeah, but really, I think with any um, any marking, you you have potential for idioms. A lot of the mar- kinds of things that you mark on verbs, like aspect and mood, more generally, you can have a lot of idiomatic things yeah. come off of that. Okay. So well, that's true. Any oh. any single piece of grammar you can conceive of can be grabbed for sort of sideways things. Mm-hmm. So can, some of that's kind of hard, right? This language is only a year old, and that sort of development of funny little idioms for a, a fundamental grammatical process. I think you, yeah. you need a basis before you can really start doing that. I mean, maybe you can do it from the get-go, but I think it's maybe a little bit better if you have more in place and sort of the the outlines there, and then you can start pushing things around in funny ways. Mm-hmm. Well, that's kind of what part of what the uh, the translations are for. You know, as I translate stories, I come across all sorts of things that I don't know how to say or want to find an interesting way to say, and that helps me uh, come up with new bits and pieces for the language. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Something we say often on the show, translation yep. is just such a great tool for... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um uh, so, I don't know. I have a couple questions before we wrap up. I'm not sure if you go into that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so, one one thing I was thinking about, um, that's, you know, somewhat, it's not uh, usually question, but um, when you have two vowels together, uh, is there a glottal stop in between them, or do they just sort of get allotted together? Uh, it depends on the vowels. Um, one pair you see a lot is I-A which they just mm-hmm. sort of flow from one to the other. It's two syllables, but they there's no glottal stop in between. Uh, you also see uh, A-Y and A-W, and those turn into a, a diphthong. Those are a single syllable. Even across word boundaries? Uh, not across word boundaries. Then there would probably be a, a glottal stop. Okay. Or at least a vowel depending hiatus. On, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And depending on the vowels. Yeah, because I see, I was reading through the story, and I saw Agri, and then Yurig, and I wasn't sure it was like Agri Yurig, or Agri Yurig, or what the, if there was a glottal stop in there or not, so I was just curious on that one. Well, when I'm reading it, anyway, uh, when I have one word that ends in a vowel, and the next word starts in the same vowel, I put a glottal stop in there, but that may just be my, you know, my personal idiosyncrasy. In my the fairies would, so. would just completely disapprove, right? <laughs> probably, yeah. The fairies are they shaking. Pro- they probably say I have terrible pronunciation. <laughs> <laughs> um, while we're talking on the vowels, I've seen also there's an I with a diaresis over it, the two dots or umlaut. Uh, has that been uh, erased, or what's that? Uh, that was just an earlier way that I wrote the, the Y. In some of the earlier posts, I used uh, different romanizations, and I sort of decided that certain things were either were either hard to type or looked ugly, and so yeah, I messed around till I found a, a romanization I liked. I was thinking of using the Y and the W. I liked the way it, it reminded me a lot of like the Welsh um, writing system, and I liked it. Yeah, uh, so it's nice to see that. Yeah, that was a bit of a, an influence as well. It can it can work. Um, hmm, I don't really have any other particular questions. William, did you have any other things that you wanted to to go over quickly? Uh, nothing in particular. I am curious, just how do you, I mean, you obviously have the blog posts, which is how you make the language public. What's your mm-hmm. sort of workflow of yourself? Do you have a notebook somewhere or just files on your computer or how do you, how do you go about uh, this? 
just files on my computer, mostly uh, Excel files, keeping track of the uh, word list and things like that. And then I use the the blog actually is is where I store the grammar. So what you see is is pretty much what I've got. Okay. Just curious. I like to hear yeah. how different people manage this stuff. Um, uh, you know. Okay. So I guess we can we can wrap up the this this uh, main portion of the show and. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you can find the grammar for Fairy Lang at fairylang.livejournal.com. We'll have a, um, uh, we'll have a link in the show notes. Um, and I do recommend people take a look at it. It's, it's a very light grammar. It'll be fairly easy for you to sort of page through it and look at different, uh, different ideas. So, uh, uh, it, it, uh, and, um, Thank you very much, uh, John, for uh, sticking with us and, and talking about your language. And um, well, thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, if you'll stick around, um, we're, we're just going to move along to our feedback segment of the show. And we got an email from Daniel, and this is a long email actually, but he's. Uh, at first he says, is it possible or does there exist languages in which the lexicon can be automatically generated or at least guided by a heuristic employing pre-exist, a pre-existing ontological f- framework? So I have no idea what that means, but he goes... <laughs> 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 uh, okay. So, and, that's hilarious, George. So... so- an ontological framework. So I'm guessing this person is um, involved in computer science, somehow possibly um, some branch of philosophy. And ontology, so we, first, on the one hand, you have epistemology. That's how you know things. Yes. Yeah. And then an ontology is how all of those things are related to each other. Um, and technically it refers to a, a theory of existence, um, in the philosophical tradition, but in the world of computer science, it refers to definitions of concepts in a particular frame of knowledge. So one might come up with an ontology of grammar that lays out all of the different things you might want to say about language and words. Yeah. And it, um, it shows how they're, how they're related to each other. Yeah. And is, he, he, okay. So he went on to explain, and I, I did, I did look at some of his, stu- his stuff, and he is talking about like using vowels, vowels at first to represent f- some features of the language, and, um, and later talking about even making consonants mean certain things. I think what he's talking about may be something close to like a philosophical language. A little bit. So uh, toward the end, he says, I am unsure if you could reasonably do this where you necessarily get a one-to-one correspondence between specific meanings and a single word. Uh, In any case, I'm curious if any conlang has attempted to build lexicology that fuses with semantics this way. So what you are describing is called an oligosynthetic language. (laughs) Mm -hmm. We will type that word out in the show notes. Um, For a while, uh, there were some people who thought Navajo worked this way. No natural language works this way. Oligo or oglio? Oligo. Like, o- oligo? Okay. ancient Greek, right? And that means that the oligo, like, it's like oligarchy. Okay. Oligosynthetic. So, 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 
There's a bits to get an enormous vocabulary. Yes. Um, which, um, it's not, um, like you said, Navajo was thought to be this, but I don't know if there's any language that people actually think naturally no. uh, does this. No, no. I don't know. I don't know if it's even really that plausible as a natural language, but for conlangs, you know, we skew more for naturalistic but you don't have to do it that way. If you want to make a language like this and you know that you're doing something that's unnatural, then, you, you know, go ahead and do it. There, there are a few languages I know of, conlangs I know of, that have tried this, and we can put those in the show notes. Um, there's an enormous, gigantic um, document that I've referred to several times in the show um, by Rick Morneau about lexical semantics. And he does stuff that hints at an ontology in the creation of vocabulary. Um, so why have I been reading that that word wrong for so long? Which I word? guess I never oh. actually heard anybody say it. And oh, I aesthetic. And I must have some dyslexia that's undiagnosed because now I see it spelled and I. Uh, I found the Wikipedia on it, and I posted it. It mentioned some constructed languages that may be considered oligosynthetic. Right. Um, and, and those are the, really the, the only ones you expect. This um, There's one. I will do some research and make sure that George get the links. There are a few people who've tried this. And um, one of the earliest conlangs we know about, um, and that gets a nice chapter worth of discussion in uh, Erica Okrent's book, In the Land of Constructed Languages, is Wilkins' real character. Yeah. Also uses uh, an ontological, um, somewhat arbitrary ontological framework. Um, and, and you might find some of that interesting and also terrifying. So Wilkins' real character um, is the direct ancestor of our modern thesaurus. Oh, is it? <laughs> um, and there was something else I was going to say about these, but I don't remember. I don't know anyone who's just generated something like this automatically. I was actually thinking about something like this, but with naturalistic noise. Um, and I gave up ever thinking I could write such a program, and instead I wrote a document. Uh, yes. Uh, on language thesaurus, which tries to address some of this stuff as well. And uh, uh, Langmaker, which doesn't exist anymore as a website or as a tool had a gigantic word list that some guy manages and would, you could just have it, you could give it sound rules and it would just yak out um, a giant vocabulary. The problem was that it was not based on a preexisting ontological framework. It was just a word list. And so every language produced this way had an identical vocabulary, which you don't want, which you, mm-hmm. which you don't want necessarily. Yeah. I mean, um, I mean um, he says earlier, I am new to this hobby. It was your podcast that really got me interested. I would love to know how you found our podcast if you were not already doing this hobby. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's that that actually would be a question for me from me too. Exactly, you know, where cuz we well, we've been referred from linguistics or a uh, linguistics oriented blog, but I suppose that's true. Um, I don't know. Um and I've been on one other podcast, <laughs> uh, or two actually, but um, I don't know how many of those audience would would have gotten in, 
uh, gotten to meet, gotten to this one. But, uh, yeah, it would be interesting to know if people are coming from outside the Conline community where exactly they're coming from. Um, so, I think with that, we can probably wrap up the show. And I'm going to start with the guest. So, John, I'm going to ask you, what are your... You know, for all the all the listeners out there, what are your final words of wisdom? Um, nope. No pressure. Just... <laughs> Doesn't matter if you don't know what you're doing. Just do it, and you'll learn a lot while you're trying. Absolutely. Nice. Because that's how I'm learning. <laughs> all right. Uh, and William? I can't beat that. I had wisdom, but I'm going to save it for next time because John's <laughs> is just so good. Uh, <laughs> Mike, you got anything? Um, no, I think that's a, that's. I don't want to ruin it by putting anything else at the end. That's a fabulous way to end to things to hold on to for uh, words of wisdom. All right, then I'm just gonna say happy conlanging. Thank you for listening to Conlangery. You can find our archives and show notes at conlangery.com. You can send questions, comments, or topic or featured language suggestions to conlangery at gmail.com. To submit a Conlang or Natlang greeting for the top of the show, see our Contribute page for details. Web space for Conlangery is provided by the Language Creation Society, and our theme music is by Null Device. imagine for example you know one of the versions translates as try to love or attempt to love you can imagine using that um, relating to uh, a family member or something like that could you, um Someone just a moment um you're have you're buzzing a lot could you possibly maybe like uh unplug and replug your mic yeah yeah let me uh just i'm that, just a second here To replug. Hmm. Unplug and replug. Yes. Okay, how's that? Uh, yeah, that's good. Okay. okay, so you what you were saying? Well I was saying It entertains me, George, that you are now forced to do the same crazy <laughs> time zone math that I've been doing for a year. It gets a little more complicated when we have someone on the West Coast. Because that's so, you guys are so much earlier than we are. Two hours is not that much. Yeah, but for some reason it doesn't stick in my head right. Hello? Who lives near you, by the way, John? John, where do you live again? L.A.? Uh, or? Uh, near L.A., in uh, the Pasadena area. Okay, because um, uh, David Peterson lives in Orange County. I don't know yeah. if you've done meetups with him before or not, or... Uh, no, I, I did meet him very briefly in Reno at Worldcon, but... It's 50 now. It's 52 degrees, which is ludicrous for the 1st of December. <laughs> Mike, what have you done? <laughs> I'm playing with the fonts. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> That's appalling. <laughs> at least it's not Comic Sans. I can okay, or, or, or Papyrus, so that's good. <laughs> yeah. There we go. How's that? Comic Sans enough? <laughs> Mike, are you trying to give me a seizure?
<laughs> what is he doing? I don't I don't understand what's this what's this problem going on? He's Do I have in, to step he, in? Yes, that's right, Dad <laughs> So here's my question. Why are all snacks that are ranch flavored packaged in cyan or blue? I really think that it's because ranch sauce is cool. As no, it isn't. To... No, it isn't. That's ludicrous. Only marketing people think ranch is cool. <laughs> as opposed to hot sauces? Yes, but there are, all, there are a large number of flavors which, when compared to hot sauce, are cool. <laughs> well, well, you're talking about why the packaging is blue... And you're talking about only marketers. Well, marketers design the packaging. Yeah, it's just very... It's just puzzling to me that everyone has gotten on this bandwagon. It makes no sense. Like, ranch-flavored sunflower seeds, which sound repulsive, by the way, come in a blue bag. Mike, can you actually read what you're typing? I have to bend the screen funny, but yes. (laughs) (laughs) Something different than we usually talk about, but... Uh, we could... Different... My God, Mike, what are you doing? (laughs) Right. (laughs) You haven't seen the worst. Just put put in the feedback and hope you can get a decent color. (laughs) No, God. No! (laughs) Sans has infected the end of the document. (laughs) And also my... Stupid sticky stick shift key. There's the emails normal. Okay. No. No, Mike. What? No hearts and stars and little hugs? I'll fix it. I'll make it normal and all boring. <laughs> it doesn't have to be boring. It just has not to be garish, for God's sake. Jesus. The, 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 the gold on black was too much. Yeah. You missed the yellow on green. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Mike. Did you just discover that these formatting options were available in Google Docs? No, kind of, no. Well, I mean, just never really took note of it. I mean, I knew it was there, just never really really fully fully realized its potential. 